0: Hey friends, what are you at? Josh here. Today I'm joined by a full-time musician and champion bloke, Jake Casey. I've known Jake for probably over a decade now, and as you'll hear through the episode, I met him through the rumoured, mysterious Rudy. Also, we find out that Jake was actually around and in the picture of the old Sodans before it closed down. So, Although I didn't meet him at that point, he remembers what it was like when the pub was closing down, which is a pretty big moment, I guess, for me personally, but also for the heavier, more alternative music genres, whether it be hip hop to punk rock to hardcore to heavy metal, all the different derivations of metal. It was a big moment and Jake was actually there for part of that, which you'll hear about. We also talk about how Jake got into music how he got off to a bit of a rough start with his music taste, which thankfully became much, much better thanks to, I think, a Blue Light Disco where he heard one particular song and that changed his whole musical life. So without any further ado, this is Jake Casey. My name is Josh Liston. You're listening to Punching Sideways. It's all about Aubrey Donga and the surrounding regions. Thank you for listening once again and enjoy the episode. Our biological overlord asked us to play him some music. We chose Backstreet Boys. He threw water on our circuit boards and it created a red light disco. He said, better, much better. Go to punchingsideways.com.
1: Family, yeah, like i that.
0: That's perfect. <laughs> welcome, Jake. Welcome, welcome to the podcasting den. I'm enjoying this. Look, mate. It's actually probably as much a music den since I've gotten back into music. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, Joshua. Yes, and no pants. That's column C, <laughs> I guess.
1: Column, column C. Yeah, or column D. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, I think, I think C
0: might cover it. So the reason you're here today is because not only have we been mates for probably over a decade now, I guess. Yep. Since back, I think when, I think Rudy and yourself, my friend Rudy and your friend, you might have worked at Wow together?
1: Or... Actually, the first time I ever saw you, I just moved to Aubrey and it was one of the last days or weeks of sodence. Okay. So I didn't know a single person, um, heard that there was bands on, and I was like, oh, sweet, come from a music background, I'm going to go check this out. Went down there, and you guys were playing.
0: Really? Towards yeah. the end? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that doesn't ring a bell, but I do remember we played before because, it closed. Um, yeah.
1: I remember running into Dan Caulfield. Like, he was probably the first person I met in the group before anything else, before I sort of knew anyone. And I was like, oh, you're the bass player from Sodens? And he's like, Yeah. And obviously, he got it all the time because he's, he's a band whore. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was just was my first introduction to Aubrey music scene. It was that night? I didn't know a single soul. I walked in and was just blown away. Then I went back there a couple of weeks later and it was shut down. <laughs> yeah, so <let's laughs> time that
0: well. Let's talk about that, yeah, mate. The what's it like to come into a situation where you're into music and there's this l- legacy venue that has all this history. But you get there when it's already on a downtrend. Well, I just thought it was
1: just my luck following me from Sydney to Albury. Yeah. You know, I got all excited because I'd heard a lot of the rumours about Albury, um, the music scene, especially soden's and the type of music that I was personally into. Yeah. Get down there, <laughs> had a great night by myself. I don't even think I talked to anyone. I was so young, naive and quiet, the opposite of person that I am now. Uh, it was the greatest night I've ever had without having to talk to anybody really enjoyed the different types of bands like the just the aura of the room i think yeah. that's probably what sums up that, that that venue the aura more than anything else
0: that's one thing that it probably wasn't intentional at the time but i do know that we we made at the you know organizational level yep although the business wasn't trending in the right direction we wanted people just to feel comfortable being whoever they were in the venue, and every venue claims that they do that, particularly yeah. if they're from Melbourne and that's just their whole shtick of you can be anybody you want when you come <laughs> in here. You can be. <laughs> but shower first. Yeah, and our bartenders are going to talk your ear off to try and get you to buy more drinks, even yeah, if course. you want to be left alone. We, But you can't
1: manufacture
0: that, That, like I said, that that word, the, the aura of the venue. You can, But part of the aura was leaving people alone that wanted to be left alone.
1: Yeah, and it got its own
0: personality out of that. Or multiple personalities. <laughs> we'll yeah. Do yeah, a few of us developed those back in those days. <laughs> I think we all did, but yeah. Just strange. a strange time to come because obviously I was there for when it was pre music and then yep. it worked up into the one of the premier non metro music venues in New South Wales. And it happened to be right on the highway, so arguably it's probably other than Canberra, the most important stop for some bands. Hundred percent. Particularly if you're in the heavier rock metal mm-hmm. genres. It was a Absolute must stop venue, and then it peaked, and then all the rubbish that happened happened. Plateaued, and then you got there. <laughs> it might have it might have just been kicking.
1: <clears throat> one little kick left in it.
0: A really poor, poor analogy. Incredibly poor analogy is when people are ill and they have one last hurrah of what feels like like an euphoria almost. Yeah. There was a euphoric feeling for a few weeks there in yeah. t- two thousand nine where. We'd all given up on the fact that it was going to stay open forever, and it was more about let's just enjoy this. Let's enjoy the time that it's still open. That's it's
1: disappointing that I never got to be a part of that because every time we catch up with all the boys, everyone brings up that conversation, and I'm like, I went to one show, yeah, (laughs) but um, I definitely um, definitely felt like I missed out on something incredible. Um, And now that it's not a venue that even excuse the pun that entertains the idea of music. I've done a few shows there recently, mate. Nothing against the venue at all. Like the the people that work there are great. It's a very family orientated venue it's now. It's just not built for music anymore. I've played more people in my bedroom, mate, than some of those gigs. Yeah. And I, again, it's no one's fault. I'm not blaming anyone, but um, the uh, the difference. You know, I'm sitting in the room where thousands of other musos have stood before and packed out um, gig nights, here you know, I'm invited to an one empty bar. Yeah, which is different. Oh mate, it's, it's it's I work harder when I play to less people than I do with a room full of people. Every time, yeah, I feel more exposed. I feel like, I sing, I think I sing worse when there's no, I barely anyone there. Maybe my interests aren't peaked, so I'm not concentrating as much. So I'll catch myself singing an off note. and I'm like, I don't usually do that in that part of the song.
0: Yeah, you're probably packing up shop in your head. Oh, I like, you just want it to be over. Doing. 100% you're not entertaining No,
1: and, and that's. I don't like doing the gigs where it's, it's quiet I, I like being that energetic Getting the people from that table nine over there To get them up dancing all night To, you know, request that they want to hear Sell my soul a bit But I enjoy what I do And there was a, a, a while there was a bit of um, naysay about being a cover musician or original Like, you know, you're yeah, selling out And look, look, everyone's you got to be talented to be in a band No matter what sort of music you're playing
0: Exactly, and You've just touched on one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on tonight and we might just come back to that. Yeah, but course. just one more funny comment about how a venue can exist in time and then not be there anymore or change. I walk into Sodin's now and it's well, you know, adorned. Everything looks nice and almost f-
1: perfect, right?
0: Yeah. And it feels like a small kind of hip RSL. Yeah, like all these crossword stuff. A, a family oriented place but kind of clean at the same time, like modern clean.
1: It has no personality.
0: I look at that area where the kitchen and the dining room is. <laughs> and I think about the night that Himsa, an American metal band, played there and it was so hot. And it happened for Parkway Drive and a few other bands, but they had a little crowd. Normally when the there was heaps of perspiration in the room it was Butterfly Effect or Parkway or yeah. Himsa, I think, played to eighty people. And the crowd went so hard, and it was so hot <laughs> that the water was settling on the roof, and not just running down the walls like normal. Because that's people used to ask what the stains on the walls were sometimes, and because if they didn't get cleaned by the cleaner, that was sweat stains running back down the wall. But <laughs> during during Hymns, condensation during him's set, the sweat had f- started working its way towards the middle of the room, like almost like it was like, raining, like, like perspiration. Yeah, it was like rivers running together into the middle of the room, then <laughs> dropping onto the mosh pit. <laughs> and now I walk in there and I'm like, this is probably the cleanest party I've ever seen. Oh, I'm so glad I wasn't there for that. It was pretty rock and roll, mate. You would have loved it. That's really cool. It was, probably wasn't great if you copped it in the eyeball, but it's just how things have changed. And now you, it couldn't be further from that. And, I mean, there might not be a business case for people having sweat dripping into their eyes off the roof anymore. But oh, We'll never know now, will we? Let's <laughs>
1: <No. Well, that's laughs> shut true. it down too
0: quickly. So just to get onto yourself as the muse, yep. And we might as well cover it now before we get too distracted and go on some tangents. <laughs> I talked to Dan Caulfield, our mutual friend, yep, recently about how over maybe the last decade, the lines between artistic credibility and being an original and a cover artist, yep, have all blurred together, yeah. and it's not as like. It used to be very didactic in certain genres. Oh, if you play a cover, you're treading a line of credibility. Mm. If you're in other genres, if you play anyone's music or even a song that sounds like someone else, you're a sellout. Yep. And then there was the prog rock genre, which I was part of, Yep. that if you even thought about another band being good, <laughs> you're a sellout. <laughs> and then there's obviously other genres where covers have been more popular. <laughs> We're living in a world now and... Dan more intelligently than me, he put it down a lot to nostalgia, and I put it down to the fact that a lot of musicians have grown up with YouTube, which yep. is a mishmash of people playing covers and originals, and no one really sees. That's a real point. No one sees the delineation anymore.
1: No. I have, a, I have a, um, a third option too. I Need I to try remember what I was about to say. <laughs> I had it in my head. Um... Well,
0: can I pitch a third yeah, option to you? Please. Cause cause that's, that's why I'll I come wanted up with to a fourth. In. <laughs> the third option that I have thought about since is what's wrong with people playing songs that they love in front of people because that used to be the main issue people had. Yeah, Why absolutely. are you playing someone else's song unless you're a cover band? Yeah, of course. But very few musicians come fully formed out of the womb with no influences. <laughs> They're not just rolling exactly out right. onto the floor and just go, Jimi Hedricks.
1: Yeah. Exactly right. Well, that's a, that's a really that good a point. Is that a G-string?
0: No, this is the umbilical cord, baby. That's not happening. So everyone's got influences. Such a vivid description. <laughs> yeah. But no, you It's a right. theatre of the mind in here, mate. And everyone gets
1: inspiration from different walks of music, walks of life with music. Um, you know, nowadays a lot of bands are getting influenced by covers of songs, like a band, Our Last Night. They're very famous for doing a lot of like heavier covers of the top forty songs. They now have a very successful original career, but that bankrolled them as a band to have enough money to tour their music. And it's also a good point of reference that all these—I um, don't know if you remember—I can't remember the band's name. But they brought out a, um, a Taylor Swift cover. Okay. Um, it was done in like a little. Was it I Prevail? I it was I Prevail. They did a Taylor Swift cover, and they went from their original artists who did a cover song on YouTube, blew them internationally, blew them up, and all of a sudden they were getting then they were getting booked for shows for their original shows, yeah, because of this platform they used for something a little bit sideways to what they were doing, which was originals. They did a cover, got noticed from that, and then their career took off. Same with Hands like Houses, a lot of people who didn't know the hard rock. Heavier uh, uh, genre, they did a cover of "Torn" by Natalie Imbruglia, or which wasn't really her song, but um, yeah. and that get got them mainstream attention. So when they play those bigger shows, they'll play that song every now and then to keep those mainstream people. I use that word loosely, mainstream. Yeah, I get what you. That's mean. not yeah. an insult. No. You know, and it, it's almost it brings people together now at shows, especially if you've done stuff like
0: that we'll probably go into more about how you've oriented yourself yep. with doing covers. And there was one moment recently and we won't start at the end and work backwards. Yep. I thought to myself, what song are they about to play? And this is a recent gig that you did on an emo <laughs> night. And then you announced that it was going to be an Evanescence song. And I saw half the guys in the room just shade their head like, nah, come on, this is too far. <laughs> and you'd already, you're already rocking out. Like the whole night was awesome. That song Literally demolished a, a building. <laughs> this is a bad play of a, a song no one likes in front of an audience that no one wanted to hear it, and fucking dominating. Well, the thing it was, it was unbelievable how good that was.
1: Mate, I, I, we got the videos at home. We got it um, filmed, and I just get goosebumps every time I Did see you it. You
0: feel like you were actually in the band playing it to their crowd because that's how it felt to me. I'm like, wait, I don't. I love this,
1: But I'm confused. I, I, right I was, now. I, everyone in the band didn't want to do this song. We dropped a couple of songs that coulda, shoulda, woulda made the, the final set list. And I was like, we needed to find more songs for Laura, our female uh, front woman singing, that wasn't Paramore. Because yeah. if you think about it, there wasn't too many popular female fronted bands in that era. And we gave her a couple other songs um, and she smashed them. But I thought with how the night was going to go, I, I just envisioned in my head, I had this image in my head where I thought this song would take the night. I was wrong. It went tenfold above that. I had blokes come up to me going, oh, I hate that Evanescence song, but holy shit, that was an amazing performance. And I had not, no, no word of a lie. I had at least five to six people come up to me within the minute we finished that gig, coming up to me going, that was the best song I've ever heard live. They were drinking. so it was just, yeah. You know what I mean? I was but,
0: leading in there. A little bit. I had to pull yeah. back a little bit, Jackie.
1: What I liked about that comment, not that it was the best one they ever heard live, because they were so immersed in that, that moment that they felt compelled to tell the rest of the band how awesome that was. Yeah. For that time and place that they were in, it took them back to those songs, like a lot of songs we did. <laughs> you know, I love Taking Back Sunday. Yeah. I love The Used. I've got The Used tattooed on my arm. But, you know, the, those songs meant so much to me. I didn't know bringing this out was go- if it was going to be a selfish decision that I just wanted to play these songs. Yeah. I've always dreamt of – Because
0: it's a somewhat maligned genre now, isn't it? Oh. it it's not really something – I don't. it had no legs. No. Not, not like we thought it did at the time.
1: No, and it, it was such a minority that was really into it. And bringing back to that option D that I was talking about, which was C but now D, is that the a little bit on the nostalgia, a lot of these albums are having their 15, 20-year reunions, you know, 10, 15, 20-year reunions. So all of a sudden it's back in people's minds – you know, they haven't listened to these songs for, they've gone up and had families, got careers, and all of a sudden that first intro, of, um, uh, Welcome to Black Parade comes on. Even if you're wearing the whitest of the clothes, all of a sudden you're dressed in black, your fingernails are black, you got your hair in your face. Like you get, it takes you back and, and towards a much simpler time. And that's what it did for me and the rest of the guys in the band was that it was, it was nostalgic, yes, but it just, just reminded me, like, you know, why I fell in love with music in the first place.
0: Yeah. And I think what I realized that night, that was by no means my favorite genre. It was probably one or two genres to the side of what I liked. Yep. But it made me realize that nostalgia isn't bad when you're nostalgic about a period of great music. And I guess, absolutely I also agree. understand why when I was coming up, People older than me were so anti covers. If you were in an original band, because if you went fifteen years back, you were in the middle of the hair metal genre, and that's not something. I mean, there's great albums around there, and it's yeah, for sure the fashion of it and the thrill of that music is nostalgic, but the emotions probably not.
1: Yeah, no, I feel we come from for it, sure.
0: It was even though it was a the emo thing was kind of a point in time, pretty short point in time, really. Yeah, about seven years. Yeah, it actually generated some really amazing songs. It'd be like if you were nostalgic in the 80s. Yeah. Were your nostalgia, 15, 20 years, Beatles, early Rolling Stones, going into Aerosmith, which still freaks me out that they're that old. (laughs) (laughs) There's all these bands through to Queen, Pink Floyd, Genesis, like Led Led Zeppelin, The Who. It would be cool to be nostalgic about the greatest bands of all time.
1: And also another point too is, how big the emo scene, you know, emo for like a better word, it wasn't just um, a music genre. No. It it, was... it, it merged, submerged into a a culture. It, it opened up fashion, skinny jeans, dyed hair. It wasn't really a big thing. And that's that just didn't happen around the emo scene. It's what, it's 2019 now. That stuff is still prevalent in society today. You don't see many of the hair metal bands people that fashion continuing on 20 years later. That died, born and died in the 80s. Same with mullets. Born and died in the, you know, late 80s. (laughs) God bless. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like just on my mind right now, it's the only sort of genre that created much more. It created, it got, brought people together, whereas a lot of scenes were about this is our scene, fuck off.
0: Yeah, and many
1: still are. Yeah, 100%. But, like, it was an outcast thing. But who didn't feel like an outcast? Even, you know, the popular ones still had days where they didn't feel like they fit in. You know, my old man was a principal at school. From kindergarten to year 10, he was my principal. Okay. So um, I knew a lot of people. People knew me, but I still didn't. I grew up in a small country town. I wanted to play music. Music wasn't a big thing.
0: You're speaking my language. Yeah. I've done the same thing. Yeah, yeah and
1: uh, um, most of my Sundays... On weekends, we was spent in a garage with my three best mates playing music from 10 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Thankfully, my neighbours never, ever came and knocked on the door and said, can you guys shut the fuck up because this is stupid. And we were horrible. I was a drumming singer. I was okay. a drummer and a singer. And you'd just started. No, we've been. I've been playing in bands, live bands, since I was 10.
0: Okay, so you had a bit of skill.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> just, just You had years up. I was terrible on drums. I, I could play all the parts, but I... Play too fast. My tempos were all over shop. I was singing. I was going through
0: puberty. My balls were dropping here, left, right, and centre.
1: So I was hitting notes that weren't even in, the, in any register. So
0: your neighbours walking over, well, I was going to say something, <laughs> but then the pitch went down.
1: <laughs> it's like, I think he knows he's bad enough. I don't need to come yeah. and add any more to it.
0: And that was pre that music? Yeah. So, so I was, what were you playing? What sort of stuff? Three Days
1: Grace. Okay. Um, One Maroon Five song, which was harder to breathe, their best. Their best rock. They had a really good rock song.
0: They have other songs.
1: And it's not one of those.
0: Is that the one that goes den den ant
1: yeah. Dan it Dan it. Really good groove. Um, we we basically played the Three Days Grace album front and back. Don't hate me for this. Nickelback as well.
0: Yeah. Not right. that. Not
1: the. Not the big songs on the radio. We're talking about the ones that the rock have
0: balls of the floor rock songs, which they have. Yes. And I guess they are world-renowned for how good their live show is.
1: Oh, that was my first concert I went to. was Three Days Grace, Nickelback, and a band called Plunger.
0: I remember Plunger. Yep.
1: Yeah, the singer was in a wheelchair. He was a very good singer too. Phenomenal. They then changed their name to White House not long after that.
0: The White House? The what? They were, they were, yeah, the White House. Yeah. It does ring a
1: bell, but I didn't think it was the White House. Uh, might not be. Might just make just, this up.
0: I'm just picturing a guy not in a wheelchair with orange hair right now. <laughs> Sorry. They're both disabled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you obviously went through that phase of that music and we don't need to relitigate the past because we all had our own <laughs> reasons for getting into that stuff. But what brought about the idea to do that show, but if we maybe go back a step further, you've been involved in what I'm calling these dedicated tributes. Yep. To genre or to an artist or a time period for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm and you seem to have been one of the more heavily involved people in that. that scene that's popped up of let's do a show about X or let's do a show about Y band or Y genre. Yeah. So what made you want to get involved with that?
1: Um, I'd been asked, I've been asked to do a few. The ones I did pick uh, that, that I, I wanted to be a part of were the ones that meant something to me. I didn't want to take a place in a band where I was just being there to, to be an extra... Guitar, it's an extra bum on the seat kind of thing. Um, the first one I did was the Sounds of Seattle show, which was a tribute to sort of like you know, um, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and um, Nirvana. I remember specifically the very first time. This is the only sort of song that I can remember of hearing for the first one that rocked rocked me to my core. I was at a, a disco in Tumut, right? A disco. I'm there trying to impress some girl that I don't talk. I can't remember the name of, and this song came on. And I grabbed my neighbour who was – she was really big. She was massive into um, the that sort of scene. And um, I grabbed my shoulder I said, what oh, the fuck is this song? I've never heard of this. And she goes, oh, this is Navarre. This is Smells Like Teen Spirit. The first one – I was always – okay, Backtrack for a second. My first two albums that I ever bought was Backstreet Boys and Five. Okay. What was the second one? Five. Another boy band. Yeah, right. From Britain. Um, okay. I didn't develop my music style until I heard that song. Mate, I, I wore puffy jackets, I wanted to be a backstreet boy so bad, it was shocking. But I heard that song and it, something clicked. I went home to my dad, um, he picked me up and took me home, I said, Dad, I found a band that I think you and I can go see together. And he's like, I've oh, been fucking time. And I was like, I want to go watch Nirvana when they come to Australia next. And he's like, bud, about ten years too late, he's dead. So <laughs> So I just remember like I just remember being in that room. I could see myself on that dance floor when it happened, grabbing my friend Emma and saying, you know, her told me who it was. I didn't forget it. this was before phones where you could type stuff in. I have a horrible memory, but I remember that song. I remember when the chorus kicked in. I just remember everything changed as far as what I loved about music. I've always been a fan of melody. No matter how hard or soft the band is, as long as it has a good melody. You know, I I like that sort of style. But when I heard that, and just the angst in it, I've never heard that scream before because I only listened to sort of what I listened to, which was Backstreet Boys and Five, a bit of Spice Girls, um, and a younger sister, and um, whatever dad listened to, which was Van Halen, Black Sabbath, which I'm still a massive fan of Black Sabbath, Deep Purple. But that one moment, from that moment on, I changed everything about myself as far as what music was happening, what I was listening to, even how I dressed. All of a sudden, I I got angst. I had teen angst
0: all of a sudden, just like that. Wow. You sure that wasn't puffer jacket related? (laughs) No, just don't tell Rudy. So we might go down that rabbit hole before we come back to (laughs) talking about the gigs that you've been doing more recently. Yep. It's funny that you bring up a life-changing moment. I was telling someone this this story the other day. The new Tool album's come out. Yep. And I was reminiscing about how I first discovered Tool, because everyone has a story about when you first, quite often for people, it's not when you first hear them, it's when you first get them and they can can be a long time apart. Absolutely. And I saw this film clip by this band and it was around a swimming pool. It was super angry, probably the most angry song I'd ever heard. And I thought, that's cool. I'm going to remember that name. And I remembered it had an O in it and it was four letters. And I went home and my mum used to buy these things and they were like Mushroom Records Club or something. Yeah, yep. And they they kept coming to the house for years and years. And I looked in there going through. I'm, like, looking for the name of this oh. artist. And I'm, like, Tool Enema. It just come out. And I was thinking, that must be it. That sounds familiar. like it, Yeah. And so I just ordered that. <laughs> it came and I saw the case and I thought, oh, that, that doesn't look like the kind of iconography I was expecting of this yeah. band. And I put it on. <laughs> And I realized within two seconds of Sting Fist, oh, the band's name was Corn. And I've ordered Tool. <laughs> it's the greatest album I've ever heard in my life at that point. And I became an instant Tool nutbag <laughs> by accidentally ordering Tool instead of Corn.
1: And wow. it, for the
0: first couple of seconds of did, 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 just like I was thinking, oh, I don't know, would I have preferred the Corn record <laughs> to Edinburgh by Tool? <laughs>
1: How long did it take you to get, not just um, like what you were hearing, but to understand what they were trying to do, what they did do?
0: Not long because I still think Sting Fist is probably my favourite song of all time. It's a phenomenal song. Yeah, and that being the first song on the record, but to get into the longer material of like Lateralis, that took me probably six months to fully absorb Okay. The mathematical wackiness of the rhythms and the long drawn-out segments with no singing and the fact that you ha- the tenth time you listen to it, it feels different.
1: That's what I, I love talking about, when especially about Tool. You put your headphones on and you hear something new in, that, in, in one of their songs every time you, you put your headphones
0: on. And it's funny, you mentioned that too with the new record. One of the big complaints a lot of people have when they first listen to it was there's a lot of unresolved tension they'll build up to nothing over and over and yeah. over again. But once you, once you know that's going to happen... And
1: you, can, you can put that to bed, can't you? You know? can
0: just like, okay, I know this isn't going to be some huge crescendo, but yeah. where does it actually go? And then it goes a little bit further out than what you realise. Because I
1: suppose they weren't trying to do what it's always been done. You build up something, you go big, yeah. then you bring it back down or you end cause it. Because
0: they're going into some other kind of motif or, yeah. okay, you thought we were going to go this far out. We're actually going all the way out here. How do you feel about that? But, yeah, it took me... Two seconds to love, undertow. When I got because yep. as soon as I had anima, I'm like, I need everything the Span's ever done, of which was only basically oh, one other album. Exactly what you're supposed to do. And I loved it, and I played those two, and I used to burn them down to tapes so I could listen to them on my Holy bike.
1: Holy moly! Yeah, I remember just doing that. Yeah. Did you, did you buy the tape, or did you buy what, what form did you get it in?
0: I used to buy the double-sided long play tape, so it had the like twice yeah. ninety minutes. I think they were yep. forty-five, which was long enough for a tour record. <laughs> for one song, yeah. I
1: remember you to have the the two tape deck, and you get like a couple songs, and then I'd, I'd record one song from like you know if I listen whatever whatever tape it was, I'd record my favorite song off that off that front side and then the back side, and then I would get another tape in, and I'd make my own mixtape that way. That's how I started making mixtapes, tape to tape. Yeah, so I had it was a two tape deck, so you could record what was played on the other one through that. It, it was really cool. So I had all these mixtapes. I found them actually. Dad gave them to me. When he moved home, out of our family house, and um, I don't have a, a tape player, but um, I want to look into getting one just so I can hear what kind of crap I listen well, to. Well, it sounds
0: like it's going to be a lot of a lot of boy bands and, and a little bit of a
1: Disney, <laughs> no doubt. And a
0: little bit of thirty second break in the bridge where it's a simple beat, so you can do a dance routine. <laughs> I might not have those dance moves down. Pat. So I guess the question now becomes to move from tool to something far more serious. When is there going to be a nostalgic gig hosted by yourself that's only boy bands? <laughs> Do I love this?
1: I've been thinking about
0: it. Wow. I honestly have been thinking about it. You're talking about doing musical version, like rock versions, or are you talking about actually well, getting people together and doing What you hear the...
1: of their music on a CD is completely different what they show live. They actually use real instruments live. It's not sampled stuff that they use. It's Everyone plays instruments and they rock them rock them up a bit. So I would like to do like a, like a boy band meets sort of rock sort of vibe. Still keep those harmonies and everything that kept about, you know, the melody, but keep the, the, the music a little bit more up-tempo, a um, bit more modern instruments as opposed to, like, I wouldn't, you know, take the piano and the synths out and using actually guitars.
0: That sounds awesome. But what's the idea you've got <laughs> for after that? Because I'm probably going to skip <laughs> <laughs> I'll come to the one that's in the future.